All right, normally I would tell you to turn in your Bible to a particular text, but I'm going to start with my introduction first, and then we'll turn to the text, and I think you'll understand why. Okay, so as we begin the new year, um, it's good to reflect back and kind of examine 2015 and what happened. What I want to first do is I want to briefly review Liberty's 2015. And I actually, I don't always like like talking about what we do because it sounds like we're, we're tooting our own horn a little bit. And we have some guests today too, so that's really not my intent. What my intent is, is to talk about all the great things that, that God has done in 2015 um, in Liberty so that we can be thankful for what God's doing and we can rejoice in what he's done. So that's my intent in doing this. Um, and I think I also am setting a foreground for where I'm going in my sermon, and I think, I think you'll see as we head there. So um, what did Liberty do? Well, we continued our missions in Belize, uh, seven years running. Um, and we started up, uh, we didn't start, we opened up some partnerships with a few other churches um, and started to see glimpses of what we have longed for, which is unity among the Belizean churches in Libertad. And we were very excited about that. We also had uh, Lindsay Couples head out to Cambodia as a missionary. Um, Josh was um, in India, or excuse me, was in Rwanda last year with Rob Welch and Forest Glory Ministries. Um, and so we had a lot of good mission stuff going on. Can you see me better now? Yeah. Wow. Man, I, I can see myself better. <laughs> uh, we began the process um, in January, February last year of nominating and confirming elders. We did the DVD outreach um, over the summer, which saw about 700 people get DVDs with the gospel on it. Um, we had life groups going on. We saw IGY and Change the Globe, our high school and college career ministries, um, continue to flourish. We had an awesome summer camp. We had an awesome um, Change the Globe retreat. Um, the Zoe ministry and its various aspects um, continue to, to do well. Uh, we continued our outreach to homeless men in the inner city, uh, thrive. Many of you are faithfully serving there. We have the right hand, really woman, of, of, uh, of thrive, of the president of thrive, Diane Vaughn. She's kind of like the key right hand person of Bridget, um, serving faithfully, working tons and tons of hours. Um, the silver cord, again, this Friday, uh, we're ministering to people at their most fragile time, going into the nursing home and giving them the hope of Jesus. Um, we also had our dear sister in the Lord, Cindy Wilson, pass away. Right? But what I, what I saw with that is that I saw our church um, stand with the Wilsons and support the Wilsons, and um, we are continuing to do so, and let us continue to do so, to stand with them and support them. It's good to see the body be the body. Uh, we have Liberty Classical Center, um, which is top-notch, um, excellent uh, complement to homeschool families that need um, help in certain areas of education. And um, I'm, I'm impersonally thankful for it, too, because my, uh, two of my kids are taking classes there. We had the Children's Christmas Musical just about two weeks ago. Um, the gospel went forth there, Right? And it is always gladdens my heart to hear and see my kids walking around the house once that Christmas musical starts up, singing the songs um, to Jesus. 
even today as we were worshiping, I was holding my uh, five-year-old son, and um, I could hear him um, softly singing, you're a good, good father. And uh, he is, right? He is a good father. Uh, for our Christmas Eve service, which actually we had a really good showing for that, probably around 100, uh, we estimated we passed around maybe 500 Christmas tracks out for that and got the gospel out. Uh, we also had our children's drama, which is a ministry that Cindy Wilson started, right, and has been established and is going on. An excellent play, an opportunity for the kids to, to continue to fellowship with one another, uh, but also for the gospel to go forth as well. Uh, we kicked off our 625 campaign, again, with the goal of reaching people for Jesus. And here we are. We're kicking off the new year right. We just prayed over Rachel, who's headed out to her own mission field. Josh is heading out. And uh, at the end of this month, we're going to be installing elders. So God is doing some good stuff to start 2016. But I want all that at the foreground. Um, because it seemed like the world in 2015... Like, went kind of crazy. And so um, I compiled a, sh- a short list, and there could be many, many other things that could be added, but just a short list of some of the craziness that we saw go on um, in 2015. Uh, ISIS is probably at the top of the list, if not close. Um, we saw them martyr in early 2015, 21 Christians, if you... Remember maybe the pictures of the men in the orange suits on the beach, right? Those are our brothers and sisters in Christ, martyred for their faith. ISIS continued to do that through the rest of the year. We saw Boko Haram in Nigeria continue to do um, similar acts of atrocities and kill people. Uh, Same-sex marriage was made legal in the United States. We uh, had Bruce Caitlin Jenner come out. We had uh, crazy police shootings. We had the Ashley Madison uh, website hack, which was the adultery-promoting website where um, hackers hacked the information and spilled it for everybody to see who had been signed up on that website, uh, sadly including pastors. There was the church shooting in South Carolina, which killed nine. That's the church that we um, sent some money to, to uh, support them as they recover and move forward. There was the coordinated Paris attacks by a group of Muslims, the Planned Parenthood videos showing the selling of baby body parts. We had campus protests over racial issues. Just last month, we had 14 people killed, 21 injured, as a Muslim couple who identified themselves with ISIS opened fire at the husband's office party. I know this could go on and on. Um, Some of these things appear to indicate, maybe all of them, that the storm is growing and not dying. And that groups like ISIS and Boko Haram are bent on causing as much violence uh, as they can, as much fear as they can. Um, And hearing these things can cause us concern, alarm, and even fear. Um, But here's the thing. The Lord does not want us to be fearful. He doesn't want us to be fearful. Uh, Look at our text today in Matthew chapter 10. To get the context, we're going to have to read about 17 verses. So we're going to start in verse 16 of Matthew 10. It says this, Behold, I am sending you out as sheep in the midst of wolves. So be wise as serpents 
and innocent as doves. Beware of men, for they will deliver you over to courts and flog you in their synagogues. And you will be dragged before governors and kings for my sake to bear witness before them and the Gentiles. When they deliver you over, do not be anxious how you are to speak or what you are to say. For what you are to say will be given you in that hour. For it is not you who speak, but the spirit of your father speaking through you. Brother will deliver brother over to death, and the father his child, and children will rise against parents and have them put to death. And you will be hated by all for my namesake, but the one who endures to the end will be saved. When they persecute you in one town, flee to the next. For truly I say to you, you have not gone through all the towns of Israel before the Son of Man comes. A disciple is not above his teacher, nor a servant above his master. It is enough for the disciple to be like his teacher and the servant like his master. If they have called the master of the house Beelzebul, how much more will they malign those of his household? So have no fear of them. For nothing is covered that will not be revealed or hidden that will not be known. What I tell you in the dark, say in the light. And what you hear whispered, proclaim on the rooftops. And do not fear those who kill the body, but cannot kill the soul. Rather, fear him who can destroy both soul and body in hell. Are not two sparrows sold for a penny? And not one of them will fall to the ground apart from your father. But even the hairs of your head are all numbered. Fear not, therefore, you are of more value than many sparrows. So everyone who acknowledges me before men, I also will acknowledge before my Father who is in heaven. But whoever denies me before men, I also will deny before my Father who is in heaven. So the passage that I want to primarily focus on is starting in verse 26 where it says, Have no fear of them. The them is a reference back to verse 17 where he says, Beware of men. That's the them, right? Anyone coming against the gospel. But he tells us this, have no fear of them. It's a command. It's a command. Have no fear. And he gives us a reason. Here's the reason. For nothing is covered that will not be revealed or hidden that will not be known. Now, there's a couple aspects to this. But here's the one I want to get to you today. The reason you shouldn't have fear is because God sees what's going on. He sees it all, and he will deal with them. He will take care of whatever injustice is done to us or anyone else. He will take care of it. We don't need to fear them because God has it under control. He will do it. They, ultimately, will not succeed. And we will not fail. That's, that's the commission given to us. Take the gospel and go forth. And guess what? They might come against you. They might even kill some of you. But they're not going to succeed. And you're not going to fail. However many God wants saved will be saved. God isn't up there saying, oh my goodness, what am I going to do? You know, I, where did ISIS come from? Where did Boko Haram come from? What am I supposed to do? And this stuff is, is encroaching on America. Okay? Do not expect your government to keep you completely safe. Have they done a good job? Yeah, I'd say so. Uh, but do not put your hope in the government. It will fail you. 
it will fail you. You need to put your hope in God. You need to put your trust in God. There's 14 people dead in California that the government didn't trust. That didn't, excuse me, that the government didn't protect. Okay? There's others. The list could go on. These things are encroaching. And we can't be fearful. Because here's the second reason. Look in verse 28. He tells us again, do not fear. He, he commands us a second time. Do not fear those who kill the body but cannot kill the soul. Rather, fear him who can destroy both soul and body in hell. I mean, I got this verse underlined in my Bible because it's such a great verse. It's like a top 25 or something. Okay? Because this is like the quintessential, if you're afraid, God's like, dude, the worst they can do is kill you. And you're like, that's kind of bad, Lord. (laughs) But we're kind of looking at it from an earthly perspective. Because they cannot touch your soul. They can't touch it. So, yeah, the worst they can do is kill you. And maybe from an earthly perspective, that's pretty bad. But from a heavenly perspective, they cannot mess with your eternal destination. If you're going to heaven, you're just going to end up there a little quicker. All right? But that's what he's telling us. Don't fear. Why? Because God will guard that which is most precious, your soul. That's what he's going to do. They can kill your body, but the most precious thing is not your possessions, it's not your job, it's not your life on this earth. It's the thing that lasts. All right? Your soul, the thing that will continue on. They can take it all away except one thing. The thing that matters most. Look at uh, Revelation chapter 6. Revelations chapter 6 and verse 9 says this. When he opened the fifth seal, I saw under the altar the souls of those who had been slain for the word of God and for the witness they had borne. Now that word witness there is the word martyrion. And it, we just transfer that word right over into English and we get the word martyr. Okay? Originally, a martyrion was just a witness because they just witnessed, right? But what actually happened was the witnesses all started getting killed. And so that word actually became to mean a witness was one who was martyred. The word of God and for the witness they had borne. Read on, verse 10. They cried out with a loud voice, O sovereign Lord, holy and true, how long before you will judge and avenge our blood on those who dwell on the earth? These are the ones that have been martyred for the faith. And they're crying out in heaven, How long, Lord? How long until you avenge our blood? Listen, then they were each given a white robe and told to rest a little longer until the number of their fellow servants and their brothers should be complete who were to be killed as they themselves had been. What's that saying? There's going to be more martyrs. There's going to be more people in heaven crying out to the sovereign Lord. How long, O Lord? Listen, more blood's going to be spilled. It's being spilled. We kind of live in a little bubble here in the Western Hemisphere. Okay? And so if we can't really see it or touch it, then it's, it's very distant and we can push it out of the way. 
But the blood is already being spilled, and we're not the ones spilling it. It's our blood that's being spilled. Right? Our brothers and sisters in Christ are paying a dear price for their faith. But they are persevering to the end. If you hear some of the stories from the 21 that were martyred, when it became apparent that they were not going to release the 21, the families began to pray that they would stand firm to the end, that they would persevere, and that they would stand firm and not deny the faith. And then when those families were informed that those 21, that their husbands, their brothers, their dads had been martyred, they actually they rejoiced that they were counted worthy to suffer for the name. Doesn't that sound like stuff that goes on in Acts, right? It says they, they counted it as, as joy that they were counted worthy to suffer for the name. What would happen if that was here in America? I mean, I don't know. There'd be a lot of mourning, and that's not wrong. But I'm not sure how much rejoicing we would be doing that if there was an, a persecution and there was martyrs for the faith. But we're not supposed to have fear. The worst they can do is take this life. If that sounds like a big deal, and I struggle with it myself, we're, we're too earthly focused. Because our life here is just a drop in the ocean of time. All right, we got all eternity to spend with the Lord. Paul struggles with wanting to stay, whether he should stay here, right? He talks about that. I struggle, should I be present here in the body or absent with the Lord, right? Do any of us struggle with that? Because he wanted to be with the Lord. That's where he wanted to be. Sometimes I think we, we, our struggle is we, we want to be here. That we've got our, our things flipped around. Because we're focusing on this life too much. We're focusing on our possessions too much. We're focusing on the here and now and the tangible. And someday, hopefully not the other side of eternity, but someday the light bulb will go on for us. And we will realize our life is but a mist. It's but a vapor. And it will be gone and snuffed out before we know it. Listen, God has this. And if we're going to fear anyone, it says fear God, not man. Okay? This isn't, I talked to someone some time ago, and they were uh, wrongly understanding this passage, thinking it was saying to, um, don't fear men, but um, fear Satan. No, that doesn't even make sense to me. Um, we need to fear God. All right? We need to fear God, not man. God has this. Um, blood is going to be spilled. We need to prepare for it. We really do. Uh, we need to prepare our children for it. They need to be ready. Better to prepare them and pray that it doesn't happen than to be caught off guard. Right? Remember the virgins that didn't have enough oil? They weren't prepared. They got left out. Okay, so the second reason is God is going to guard that which is most precious, the thing that goes on into eternity. As if two times wasn't enough, he tells us in verse 31, again, fear not, therefore, you are of more value 
than many sparrows. So the third reason, you have great value in God's sight. You have great value in God's sight. He hasn't forgotten you. He is in control. He loves you. He will be with you to the end. All right, three times in six verses, Jesus is trying to get a point across to us. Don't fear. Listen, when you look through the Old Testament, when you look through the New Testament, the most given answer to questions that people ask the Lord, people cry out to the Lord, the most given response by God, by the prophets, is fear not. Over 80 times that response is given. Fear not. Fear not. Fear not. Okay? Believers in the Bible told not to fear. Think of Joseph is told by an angel in a dream when he finds out Mary is pregnant. Does an angel of the Lord appear to him in a dream saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife. Abraham, while he's still Abram, is told in Genesis 15 when God makes his covenant with him. He says, the Lord came to Abram in a vision. Fear not, Abram, I am your shield. I am your shield. God tells Isaac, fear not, for I am with you. The prophets, over and over, fear not, fear not. Jeremiah, God speaks through Jeremiah. Israel's getting ready to go into exile, into Babylon. What does he say? Fear not. Why? Because I will be with you. I will be with you. Listen, God does not want his people to live in fear. Okay? Money, taxes, marriage, singleness, work, school, physical ailment. Do not fear. Do not fear. God has you. He will be with you. He will walk with you. He will carry you. Second, Second Timothy 1. Look there. This is Paul writing to Timothy. He says in verse 6 of chapter 1, For this reason I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God, which is in you through the laying on of my hands. For God gave us a spirit not of fear, but of power and love and self-control. Okay. Notice, he gave it to us. Power, love, self-control. That's what he's given us. Not a spirit of fear. Power, love, self-control. Paul says something similar in Romans 8, if you look there. It says in Romans 8, 12, So then, brothers, we are debtors not to the flesh, to live according to the flesh. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death... The deeds of the body you will live. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God, and if children, then heirs, heirs of God, fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. Notice the contrast. Spirit of slavery has fear. Spirit of adoption has glory and eternal life 
and freedom and hope in Christ. Which one do you want? I'll take the spirit of adoption. Um, so there's a couple responses we can have when we're tempted to fear. I think sometimes um, we can bury our head in the sand, so to speak. Just ignore what's going on around us. Um, now, I like being informed, and I like to know what's going on you know, like locally and in the U.S. and in the world. Um, I wouldn't call myself a news junkie, but I just I do like, like the news. And when I was 10 years old, I never understood like, why my parents and grandparents like, watched the news and stuff like that. I was like, that was the most boring thing ever. You know? My kids probably think the same thing <laughs> about me. Um, but I just like being informed. Um, Here's the thing. I can understand the draw to it, all right? If you're ignorant of something, then you feel like, oh, there's not as much culpability or something like that. Um, that's debatable. But um, it doesn't do any good, okay, just to be ignorant, to live in ignorance. Um, nowhere does the Bible commend ignorance. It doesn't commend ignorance. And whenever ignorance is discussed in the Bible, it almost always refers to unbelievers. So it refers to a foolish behavior or unwise thinking. Uh, the few times it's used of believers, um, it, it's really describing what we're not. We're not ignorant. So in 2 Corinthians 2.11, Paul's talking about Satan's cunningness, and he says we are not ignorant of his designs. We're not ignorant of his designs. Um, so because we're not ignorant, we won't be outwitted, is what the Greek means. or taken advantage of. Uh, we won't get uh, uh, outsmarted, so to speak. Um, what we need to be like is like the men of Issachar. There's this little passage in First Chronicles 12. And it commends the men of Issachar. It's, it's this list of the different tribes. It says, the men of Issachar knew the times and understood what to do. They knew the times. So it's one thing to be informed, right? That's what the news junkie can be, just an informed person. True? They know everything going on, and they can tell you all the events. Um, so it's one thing to be informed, but then to understand what to do is something else. You can have the knowledge, but you have to have the wisdom to know what to do with the knowledge. But, so we need to be like the men of Iskar. They know the times, and they understand what to do. And listen, right thinking leads to right action. Um, if we're fearing and cowering, it's going to lead to actions that reflect it. If we're ignoring it, it's going to lead to actions that reflect it. Uh, we, we can't ignore what's going on around us. We don't have that option as believers. Time is short. We can't live in oblivion. We can't live in ignorance. Look at Ephesians 5. It addresses this uh, quite clearly. Ephesians 5, verse 15 says this, Look carefully, then, how you walk. Uh, you could translate that how you live. It's just another word. Not as unwise but as wise, not as foolish, but as wise, not as ignorant, 
but is wise, making the best use of the time because the days are evil. Look, we're told the days are evil. We're told that right there. It shouldn't surprise us. Paul said it 2,000 years ago. It's true today. It was true back then. So we need to make the best use of the time. We need to know what's going on around us and be wise to act in it. Make the best use of the time. The other thing we can't do is get jaded. You know what I mean when I say jaded? It's kind of like you get dulled because of overindulgence. All right? Just like so much, and you start, you just almost like start zoning out. It's not a big deal. So, you know, the floods in St. Louis, that really, that wasn't even really a week ago. But the way the media just throws stuff at us, it's almost like, oh, that's old news, man. That's like seven days old. But it's very real for people that live just south of us. <clears throat> so when the floods first came, you know, you're, well, what's the damage going to be? How high is the water going to get? Is it going to set any records? What's happening? I mean, you're watching and you're listening to everything. You see the first levee break and you see these houses underwater and people walking through and paddling their little boat, right? And now it's easy just, you, see another, you read about another levee break, you see another house underwater, you're like, oh, there's another house. Another levee, right? You're becoming jaded to something that just a few days ago, yeah, shocked you, had, had you locked in, had your interest. So then, then we read the news and, oh, oh, 10 more Christians get executed by ISIS. Yeah, oh. Uh, oh, another school shooting. We're getting jaded, you know. We hear stats, oh, human trafficking is on the rise. Oh, we're getting jaded. That's not good. Oh, 3,000 abortions a day. Jaded, okay? Being, getting jaded or being jaded, it leads us to not care. It leads us to not get involved. It leads us to really deny the power of what God can do. He can do the impossible. And when we get jaded, it just lulls us into inaction. Because it's a feeling of helpless, like, what can I do? What can I do? Well, you can do a lot. You can. So it's not an option for a believer to sit by and be idle and do nothing. We have no such option given us from our Lord. Okay, Guys, we need to remember something here. Jesus is alive and well. Alright? He's alive and well. If you hear nothing else from my sermon today, Jesus is alive. He's on the throne. He reigns. Nothing catches him off guard. He has this and he has you. Right? In Revelation 1, it talks about Jesus walking among the seven lampstands. And as you read, you find out that the lampstands are the churches. Right? It says he walks among the lampstands. What does that mean? He's here with us right now. He is very real and present in his churches. And so whatever fear you might have, whatever thing might be driving you towards that, Jesus is here, and he can take it away. You can give it over to him today. Look, he is in control. He has saved us. He has the victory. Do you guys believe that? Yes. He has the victory, guys. His return is guaranteed. We have nothing to 
to fear. Okay? We can't be ignorant. We can't be jaded. Our time is short. Our time is short. I feel like the younger you are, the less likely you are to believe that, that your time is short. But the older you get, the more you realize how short your life is on this earth. Listen, now is the time for us to act, to get involved, to be used for his kingdom. Now is the time. Now is the time. God is at work. All right? He's working in this church. He's working in churches in this area, churches in Missouri, churches in the U.S. God is doing some amazing stuff. That's why I started out with what God's doing in the church, because that really does need to be the foreground. Because all sorts of craziness can happen. It can distract us. And then all of a sudden we get focused on all these other events and we can start believing lies that God is not at work. But God is at work. If you don't believe that, you need to start getting on some mission sites and some other Christian sites and seeing them report of the awesome things that God is doing. God is at work. The gates of hell, they're not going to prevail. They might give a, give a good fight for a bit. They're going to come crashing down. Right? They're already rusty, by the way. Okay? The hinges are loose. Okay? We need to keep pushing in on it. Because those gates are going to fall. We do not have a spirit of fear. To live as if we did is to go contrary to the very nature that God has given us. That's what he tells Timothy. You don't have the spirit of fear. You don't have it. You can act like it. You can live like it. But FYI, you don't have it. So if we don't have it, let's not act like it. Let's not live like it. God has this. He sees the injustice going on. You think that it doesn't bother him that his children are being slaughtered? You think that he sits idly by? It greatly bothers him. And there will be a day of reckoning. Maybe not in the time frame that we would like, but in God's time frame. And if you want satisfaction, a godly satisfaction, you will more than get it on the day of judgment if you are one of his. You will more than get it. You will more than get it. God will set things right. And every single crime will be punished in the exact way it needs to be. But let me tell you something, folks. Let that be a warning to us. Because our crimes will be punished. Okay. We need to make sure we're not pointing fingers at everything else going on when we are guilty of sins ourselves. And we're perfectly happy to continue to live in those. Okay. Because the Bible says we will all appear before the judgment seat. All. And all means all. That's you and me. All right? You're going to get to see me judged. I'm going to get to see you judged. That might not be very pretty for either of us. All right? I don't know about you. I'm going to be pleading the blood of Jesus. Okay? Because that's the only thing I'm going to be able to do to have any justification before the Lord. And if you can't plead the blood of Jesus either, then your crimes are going to be called to account for as well. And that won't be a pretty day for you. 
It's by Jesus and Jesus alone that on that great day of judgment, you will escape the wrath. And the wrath is coming. It is coming. It is guaranteed. So I implore you, if you haven't escaped the wrath through trusting in Christ, that you do so. I do not want it for you. Neither does God. But he is a loving, merciful, kind, and just, and wrathful God. That's the whole story. He will punish what needs to be punished. He will forgive what he promises to forgive. So have and receive the forgiveness freely given in Christ. Because if you don't have that, then you have a whole lot to fear. You have a whole lot to fear. So trust in him. Us believers, if we have that trust in him, then we have no reason to fear. Not judgment day. If you don't have to fear judgment day, guess what? You don't have to fear today. And just think about that. The judgment day is going to be very scary for many people. And if that's a day you don't have to fear, then what's so big about today? Not so big. If the blood of Christ covers you, and you've been set free, then there is no fear for you. And you can trust and walk and live for him. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you that you say, that you remind us, that you tell us over and over and again to fear not. Not because of anything we've done, God, but because of who you are. We thank you for that. Lord, we thank you for the goodness that you've poured out on, on this church, the many things that you're accomplishing through it, the many things you're accomplishing through the church in America and worldwide, God, as we're seeing in our mission work, Lord, you are active and you are at work. And though the enemy might push, God, you are stronger, greater, so much greater, God, that you guarantee the victory. We thank you, God. We love you so much. Pray for my brothers and sisters, Lord. Drive out that fear from us. Let it not be present. If we need to lay stuff before you, God, let us do so. But we don't have the spirit of fear. So let us believe it and live it and act on it. You are a good God. You are good to us, God. We love you. Amen.